Genesis chapter 15. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abram said, O sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? And the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, You have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. And then the word of the Lord came to him, This man will not be your heir, but a son coming from your own body will be your heir. He took him outside and he said, Look up at the heavens and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. And then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. Abraham believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. He also said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to take possession of it. But Abram said, O sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of it? So the Lord said to him, Bring me a heifer, a goat, and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. Abram brought all these to him, cut them in two, and arranged the halves opposite each other. The birds, however, he did not cut in half. And then birds of prey came down on the carcasses, but Abram drove them away. As the sun was setting, Abram fell into a deep sleep, and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. And then the Lord said to him, Know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own, and they will be enslaved and mistreated four hundred years. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, and afterward they will come out with great possessions. You, however, will go to your fathers in peace and be buried at a good old age. In the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here, for the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. And when the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking firepot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram and said to your descendants, I give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, Kenizzites, Cadmonites, Hittites, Perizzites, Rephaites, Amorites, Canaanites, Girgashites, and Jebusites. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, as we come before this text today, it is one that is just so profound and so meaningful for Christians around the world. To the Jewish people, it was the covenant that you made with Abraham, a promise of a land and a people and a blessing. And to those who know Christ, we understand that that greater blessing that was to come was Jesus himself, your Son, our Savior. And so, Father, would you help us to understand what this passage is about and how it relates to our life and to our fears as well. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. The word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision. And God said to Abraham, Do not be afraid. That command is the most common command in Scripture. The command to not be afraid or do not fear. The second most common command is the command to love. To love God, to love one another, to love our neighbor, to love ourselves. We hear that in different places in Scripture. But it's interesting to me that the most common command that comes through is the command, do not fear. 
in Jesus' own ministry out of some 120 commands or imperatives that He gave, uh, over 20 of them were the command, don't be afraid or fear not. He said that often to the disciples. Why is that? Why is that so common in Scripture? Well, it seems that we are a fearful and anxious people. We value peace and security. We like things to be comfortable and under our control. We'd like everything to go just the way that we want it to. And yet we live in a world in which there are natural disasters and calamities and circumstances well beyond our control. Every day we hear reports about those kind of things. I mean, this year people are talking about the unusual weather, the number of tornadoes we've had. Uh, across the country and how staggering number of people that have been killed in these tornadoes. We talk about, you know, disasters like the tsunami and the earthquake in Japan or in other places of the world, volcanoes erupting. There are stories in the news we hear about new germs and diseases, the E. coli outbreak in Germany, superbugs that are resistant to antibiotics in our hospitals. Even down in Joplin, Missouri, where this tornado went through, there was a story talking about this fungus that has been stirred up and gotten on things. And the warning for people who go in there that this fungus has actually been deadly to a large number of people who have their immune systems already compromised. It's just a deadly fungus that kills the tissue that it enters. And so you hear these kind of things and you wonder, what in the world is going on? On top of that, there's news about our economy, the high unemployment, the foreclosures, the underemployment, fears of a double-dip recession, government stalemate on trying to address the issues. And oh yeah, besides all that, there's the threat of terrorism that continues to weigh on people's mind. We have personal concerns too. Concerns perhaps for our own health. Concerns about retirement. Are we going to be able to retire? What is a retirement account? Uh, we have concerns about our children, our work, our marriage, friends, or our financial situation. And what happens is that those fears steal our joy and they steal our peace. You can't be fearful and anxious and at peace at the same time. They just don't go together. So what can we do with our fears? Well, today we're going to look at this life of Abraham. And again, Abraham was a great man of faith who trusted God. Yet here we see this realism of the Scripture that he was also a man who had fears, just like we do. I mean, he had his concerns when he thought about the future and things that were beyond his control. And we need to learn to deal with our fears and to give them to God just like Abraham did. And what I want us to look at today is this word that God spoke to Abraham and to see how God also speaks to us in the midst of our fears. Number one, God knows our fears. We see that here in verses 1 to 5, that even before we speak them, God knows our heart and He knows what's on our mind. And so here He comes to Abraham in this vision and He says to him, Don't be afraid. I think the question we first wonder about there is, okay, what was Abraham afraid of? I mean, what was he afraid of? What was he thinking about? If you were here last week, you remember that Abraham had gone on this daring rescue mission and he had rescued his nephew Lot and taken back the the, uh, property and the goods that had been stolen from them. 
And he had defeated these four kings that had come against uh, Sodom and Gomorrah and those nations of the plain. Abraham's probably worried that now he's got a target on his back. That these four kings may muster an even greater army and come after him next time. He's worried about the return of the four kings. He's also worried about not having a son, and we see that later in the chapter. He goes, I have no heir. God, you gave me this promise, but I have no heir except for Eliezer, who is a servant of mine. And he's also anxious about the land. God, I thought you were going to give me a land, a place of my own, a place where I could settle down and be at rest or at peace and live with my family, and yet we find ourselves moving about. God, what's going on? Abraham is anxious about all of those things and probably a few more that aren't even expressed here. Because we are quite capable about worrying about many things at the same time. Some people I know seem to carry a worry bucket around with them all the time and, you know, as soon as one thing gets taken care of, there's more than enough things to hop into the bucket and to keep it full. And they just are anxious about many things in life. How did God answer Abraham's fears? He did it with his word. He answered him with his word. And he said to Abraham, I am your shield. Now, a shield was a symbol of a king, a protector, a defender. And he is saying to him, I am your shield. I am your protector, your guard. And he said to him, I am your very great reward. Abraham, even if you had nothing else and all you had was me, I am your great treasure. And he would say the same thing to us, even if we lost everything in this world and we still have Christ, he is indeed a very great treasure, more than we can imagine. God is our protector and our provider. And that does not mean that in this life, you know, that everything's always going to be going smoothly for us. It doesn't mean that our barns are always going to be full or we'll never be sick or suffer. You know that. I know that. It doesn't mean that. And sometimes there are Christians or pastors who have made it seem that way, that you should always be healthy and well and prosperous, but they promise too much. That's not what the Scripture says for this life. That in this life, Paul writes that we will experience many troubles before we enter the kingdom of God. What it does mean, though, is that God is our sovereign Lord. He is our King. And that nothing can happen to us except what He allows. And nothing in all creation can separate us from His love. We are more than conquerors through Him who loves us so. So here when we look at Abraham, Abraham's greatest fear really was the fear that he would die without a son or a daughter without an heir, and that Eliezer, this servant, would inherit his estate. Abraham's fear is common. I mean, there are many people who are afraid of the future. In his day, children were their retirement plan. You know, it's like you have kids and grandkids, and they took care of the uh, property that you owned and the livestock that you had, and that was your retirement plan. So Abraham's probably wondering, who's going to care for me? in my old age, if there is no one there? Or how is God going to fulfill this promise that He gave to me? And maybe you have those kind of fears too. What would you say is your greatest fear? 
If you had to identify it, what would you say is your greatest fear? You know, I was thinking about that myself, and I was thinking, you know, in my life, probably the greatest fear that I've dealt with, both being young and older, is the fear of failure. And I'm not sure where all of that started or where it came from in my life, but I have always wanted to succeed at what I did, and sometimes that fear of failure when I was younger would keep me from taking risks. I didn't want to try something if I wasn't pretty sure that I could succeed at it. And that can limit what you do in life. And I have had to learn to take risks and to take risks for the kingdom of God and to see God work in my life. And when I have stepped out in faith, whether it was when we first went on staff with Campus Crusade for Christ and needed to raise our own support, or whether it was trusting God, you know, in other areas of our life too through the years, time and time again I've seen God provide and bless and lead when we were following Him. But i got to say that it's still a little bit of that fear of failure there. You know, I, I have a fear I don't want to disappoint God and I don't want to disappoint you. You know, I think about like a, a baseball player, and I know this maybe isn't a fair analogy, but you know, a baseball player, if he gets a hit one out of three times, he gets paid pretty well, you know. Uh, that's a pretty good average if you can do that, a 300 average or better. But if I only hit one sermon out of every three, I'd be in trouble. I mean, you know, and I think about Rennie as a doctor, you know, if you only did, you know, one out of three patients and got that right, you know, that wouldn't be quite so good an average. And we feel that. We can feel that pressure at times in our life. Fears. And we need to give those fears to God. And that's what Abraham was doing. Oh, sovereign Lord, how will I know? How will I know? And when he comes to God and he brings those fears to him, again, how does God answer Abraham's fear? He answers him with a word, the word of the Lord. And in verses 4 and 5, he said to him that this man will not be your heir, but a son coming from your own body will be your heir. And he took him outside and he said, look up at the heavens and count the stars. Can you imagine that? I mean, in those days, they didn't have street lights to kind of dim the night sky. If you've ever been in an area where it's totally dark and you look up and you see that night sky in the Milky Way, I mean, it's just unbelievable. And God is saying, Abraham, I'm going to do that for you. And from you will come this great nation and all of these descendants. How does God answer our fears? Same way. He does it by His Word. It's why He's given us His precious and magnificent promises to assure us of His love. That I will never leave you nor forsake you. That I will provide for you. I will be your shield. I will be your defender. I will be your protector. And I will watch over you. Will we trust Him? Well, what we see as we go through this text is that God was interested in something even more than just, you know, taking care of giving him one son. He was doing something much bigger. And we see here, secondly, that God credits faith in his promises as righteousness. I thought about making this second point this. I thought about in this second point saying that faith is the answer to our fears. It is. That's true. But God is doing something bigger here than just talking about fears. He is telling us how we can be right with Him. Verse 6 is one of the most important verses in all of Scripture because it tells us how we can be right with God. 
Abraham believed the Lord and God credited that faith to him as righteousness. His trust, his confidence in God and what he was about to do. This verse is quoted three times in the New Testament. In Romans 4, in Galatians 3, in James 2, it is so profound what God is saying here. And when we say that Abraham believed the Lord, he didn't believe in God like some people say, oh yeah, I believe in God, or yeah, I believe there is a God, but it makes no difference in their life. He believed God. He took God at His word and He acted on it. That's what faith is. He heard the word of the Lord and He put it into practice in His life. He lived upon that word of God. That's what faith is. And when we come to God and we believe Him and we place our trust in Him and what He has promised or said, God credits that as righteousness. Abraham believed that God is a God who keeps His promises even when he couldn't see it, or even when it wasn't his immediate experience. He trusted that God would do what he had said. It's an interesting thing here where it says the Lord then credited that to him as righteousness. It's an accounting term. Both the Old Testament and New Testament, this is an accounting term. And if you know anything about accounting, you know that accounting is a very exact discipline. You know, you don't just kind of rough things out and, you know, kind of guess at things. And it's not like, you know, if you have $10 in your pocket and you say, you know, I'd like to make that a 1000 I'll just kind of change this so you can do that. You can't create phony money. You get in a lot of trouble for doing things like that, right? You know, you just, you can't keep the books that way or you can't just make money. So how can God, who is holy and righteous and just, declare an unrighteous sinner to be righteous in His sight. Well, what's the transaction that goes on there? And what it is, we know from the New Testament, is that God takes the debt of our sin and He places it on the ledger of Jesus Christ. And it is His death, His blood, that paid that debt that we owed. But then equally as amazing is that He takes the righteousness of Jesus Christ from His ledger of infinite, perfect and He places that and credits that to our account. Our debt is paid and we are covered with the righteousness of Christ. Now here's Abraham, an Old Testament believer. Abraham didn't know the name of Jesus, yet he believed in the promise of a Savior, of a seed that was going to come. We see that in Galatians 3, verses 8 and 9. Look at this verse. I mean, this is just so profound. The Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith. And He announced the Gospel in advance. He announced the Gospel in advance to Abraham, saying that all nations will be blessed through you. So those who have faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Paul is saying that Abraham heard the Gospel in its initial form of the promise of a Savior who would come. And Abraham believed that gospel, and God counted that as righteousness to him. Abraham was saved by grace through faith, just as we are, according to Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. And it has been that way all the way through Scripture. By faith, Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain. By faith, Enoch 
was taken from this life so that he did not experience death because he walked with God by faith. And by faith, Noah built an ark. When God commanded him to do that, and there had never been this kind of rain or flooding on the earth, and people were mocking him and didn't understand what he was doing by faith, Noah believed God, took him at his word, and acted on it. That's why we put up here on these banners again. The just will live by faith. It's the way that God wants us to live. Faith is what God approves. Hebrews 11.6, it says, Without faith it is impossible to please God. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Faith is what overcomes our fears. The psalmist said, you know, I cried out to the Lord, I sought the Lord, and He delivered me from all my fears. Faith is believing that what God has promised He would do. In Romans 4, verse 21, Paul writes this about Abraham. He said, He did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he has promised. Abraham didn't ignore the facts of his age or Sarah's age. He believed God and trusted him. Now, how does that apply to us? Well, let me share a couple different stories of different life situations. In a large part of the world today, one of the greatest fears that Christians have is the fear of persecution, even death. We live in our world where we don't have that going on in the same way, and it's kind of hard for us to imagine what that would be like to everyday wonder. Is today the day? Is today the day when my life's going to be taken? Joseph Zahn was a pastor in Romania, a pastor of a Baptist church there in Oradia, and he experienced that fear of persecution. In fact, early on in his ministry, he fled Romania and went to London. He studied at Oxford and... He was just wondering, God, what is it that you want me to do? And he sensed God calling him to go back to Romania. He shared that with friends, though, and they thought, that's a pretty risky thing to do. I mean, what chance do you have of successfully implementing a ministry in Romania under Ceausescu when the communists were in power? And he asked God about it. And God brought to mind this verse from Matthew 10:16, where God says, I send you as sheep in the midst of wolves. And he said, God seemed to say to me, tell me, what chance does a sheep surrounded by wolves have of surviving five minutes, let alone of converting the wolves? And he said, Joseph, that's how I am sending you. And if you are willing to go that way, go. And if not, don't go. And Joseph Zahn went back. He surrendered his fears to God. He said, God, here I am. You want to take my life? However you want to use it, here I am. And he went back. And he began to preach in Romania boldly and fearlessly. And his messages were taken all over that country as they were recorded and delivered to other Christians to encourage them in their faith. And he was indeed arrested, imprisoned, tortured, many different times while he was in his ministry. But he came to this point where he said to those who captured him, he said, Sir, my, your supreme weapon is killing, but my supreme weapon is dying. You know that my sermons are all over the country on tapes now, and if you kill me, I will be sprinkling them with my blood. 
And whoever listens to them after that will say, I better listen, because this man sealed it with his blood. And they will speak ten times louder than before. So if you wish, go on and kill me. And I win the supreme victory then. He said, when I was seeking to save my life, and I was afraid, I mean, I was just so limited, so intimidated by what I could do. And I was losing my life. But when I chose to surrender my life to God and give it to Him, I found it. And God used them in a powerful way. In our experience, our fears may be of different things. I know of an elderly couple a number of years ago who lost their family farm through bankruptcy. It was the most devastating experience in their life. Uh, It had been a farm that their grandfather had actually homesteaded in the 1800s, and then the father had farmed it, and now this man had farmed it, and he was of an older age and looking forward to passing it on to his family. He had four children and 12 grandchildren. And they went through one of those boom-bust cycles that can happen in the economy, as you know. As we have seen in the housing area, it happens in farming, and it's happened several times in our history. We may be going through one of those right now again. And uh, so in the 70s into the early 80s, farming looked great, prices were up, and he went to the bank and wanted to expand, and they prayed about all these decisions, and the bank gave him a loan to expand the operation, and they took that as a sign of God saying, go ahead. And then came this change where prices dropped, expenses went up, and pretty soon he found himself it was costing him more to produce a bushel of corn than he was getting paid for it. And the bank pulled in the loans. Wouldn't give them any more money to continue, and they lost everything. Devastating. I mean, that was their retirement. They didn't have any other plan. That was their retirement. They lost it all. How did they get through that time? That was the most difficult time in their life. They had to rely upon God in a greater way than ever before. He went to work as a handyman. His wife went to work as a cook. But God provided new opportunities. And they saw God work in a different way than they had planned in their life, but they saw God's faithfulness to provide for them and carry them through. And he did that for the years that followed. It wasn't what they had planned, and sometimes life takes a turn for us too, not what we had planned, but God is still faithful, he's still sovereign, and he is still able to care for you. He came to Abraham with this promise, and what's very interesting here as we look at the third point is that God guarantees his promises by his covenant. He made a covenant with Abraham. He's made a covenant with us as New Testament believers. And God said to Abraham, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans. I'm the God who called you. Abraham didn't choose God. God chose Abraham. We didn't choose God. God chose us and called us and extended his call. And it is the same formula here that he used with Abraham that he also used in the Ten Commandments when he gave them to Moses. And in the Ten Commandments, he said, you know, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of this land of slavery. It was the form of the covenant here was one that was typical in the age in which Abraham lived. It was the kind of covenant a king would make when he would state who he is, who's the sovereign, and what he expects of his people, what are the terms of the covenant, and then the promises and the blessings that would come. 
And so here he does that with Abraham, he would do that with Moses, and he has done that in the new covenant with Christ. Now some of the things to note about this covenant are these. Abraham was asked to make the preparations for the covenant. And it's kind of a bizarre thing, you know, when you look at this. He's to take these animals and he is to cut them in half and lay the carcasses side by side. And with enough room so that two people could walk between them. So he does that. It takes him all day to do this thing. This is not a sacrifice that he is making. These are animals that were to be used in making this covenant that was typical of that time period. But it's interesting, the animals that are chosen here are animals that will all be used in the sacrificial system later. And you've got to remember, it's Moses who is writing this, and the readers are the people in that generation of the Exodus who are understanding all of this. And they're going, I get it. I get it. I understand what God's doing. He prepares the sacrifice. God will speak to him in a dream. You can go ahead and put up the other bullet points too where God is going to fulfill his promises in spite of opposition and suffering. When Abraham has to drive away the birds of prey, it's a a symbol of how we in this life are going to encounter spiritual opposition and battles and we need to protect what God has said. And he will come and what he learns is that suffering is going to precede the glory that will follow. There will be suffering for his people. God says to him, Know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own and they'll be enslaved and mistreated for 400 years. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves and afterward they will come out with great possessions. People of the Exodus are reading this and they're going, That's exactly what God did. We were slaves in Egypt. He brought us out by His mighty arm. We plundered the Egyptians. The Egyptians said, take what you want of the gold or silver or clothing or whatever they needed. And they plundered the Egyptians by God's mighty hand. Abraham, you will go to your fathers in peace. You will die at a good old age in peace. He gives them all of these assurances And he also tells them the reason for this delay is that God is patient in his judgment. In the fourth generation he will do these things. For the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. It's interesting, you know, you could ask the question, what was their sin then? What was it that God was allowing them to kind of experience or run through before he would act in judgment? God was patient. And when you look at what their sins were, their sins are actually listed in Leviticus 18. Spelled out in detail all the things that the people of Israel were not to do. And when you go through that list, you see sexual immorality, you see adultery, you see incest, you see polygamy, you see bestiality, you see homosexuality, and you see child sacrifice. And I wonder about that list, you know, and I also wonder when I read that, why was child sacrifice included in that? And one of the thoughts I have, could it be that child sacrifice for them even was a form of birth control? Just like we in our culture have abortion. And I wonder how long God will give America. How long will God give America before He comes and He acts once again just like He has with all of the other nations of the world? These are the sins that we are guilty of as a people. And these were also sins that even Abraham, who married his half-sister, and Jacob, who married two sisters, Leah and Rachel, 
And all of those things were forbidden later here in the covenant. God is gracious in His mercy for those who come to Him and confess their sin and seek His forgiveness. Normally when a covenant was ratified, both parties would walk between the animals. But on this occasion, Abraham fell into a deep sleep and it is God who unilaterally makes His covenant. This symbol of a smoking fire pot, a torch that passes between the two pieces, is God who does that. And what the parties normally were saying when they passed between these animals that were cut in half, what's the meaning of that? They were basically saying, if I fail to keep my promises, may what was done to these animals be done to me. If I fail to keep my word. And here it's God who has taken upon himself this promise. The unilateral covenant God made with Abraham is just like the covenant he makes with us in the new covenant. It's a covenant of grace. God didn't have to do this. He chose to do that because he is merciful and forgiving. It was made by God himself. He paid the debt that we owed. And it is a permanent covenant, an eternal covenant. And just as God gave to Abraham and his descendants the land, So he is giving to us the promise of eternal life in Christ Jesus. Wow. Wow. You can see why there's a lot going on in this passage of Scripture. And so I come back to the question of the fears that we may have. What are the fears that you have? And have you given them to God? Have you laid them at His feet? And are you willing to trust Him? To trust in His promises to you? That He will be your protector. He will be your provider. He will lead you and guide you and He will never forsake you. Faith is the answer to our fears. Let's pray. Father, when I think about messages on a Sunday morning, sometimes I wonder, who is this for today? And You know that, Lord. You know each of us in our hearts and our fears. And maybe there's someone in particular today that this was just the word for them. But Lord, all of us struggle with things like this in our life. And so I pray that we would all take it to heart and learn to trust in Your goodness, Your mercy, Your forgiveness, Your promises of life in Christ, Your protection and Your provision. Help us to walk with You by faith. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with us?